0: Samantha Engel
1: and I'm Aaron Gullius and this is Great Lakes Lore. How's it going? It's not bad. It's it's gorgeous outside today after a brutal few days of awful <laughs> heat over the weekend but things are uh, things are gorgeous now.
0: Do you want to hear a fun story? Yes I do. So I have been putting together a 2022 playlist um, on Spotify and and due to some conversations in the office, a lot of ABBA has gone into this playlist. Excellent, Which we will be listening to as we drive down to
1: Nashville. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the
0: 2022 playlist is a must. So I was walking my dog Remus last night and we passed by this one guy's house and he recently adopted a dog and so I took Remus up to meet this dog and um, I said oh what's her name and the guy said her name's Abba (laughs) And it was just really funny because I like the day before was making this playlist and yesterday rocking out to Abba in my car (laughs) on the way to work. And I didn't ask because I was like, "Uh, could it be anything else? I don't I don't know. So but also I don't know if like this guy named her or if the shelter named her and he just kept the name. So I didn't want to get into a whole conversation about it. But I was just like, oh, well, it's fun. it's
1: either the band or Hebrew for father. Those are the only two things <laughs> right. I right. I, I, I really know. So Which um, the
0: latter makes no sense. So
1: No. No. I always identify Abba with coast to coast am with art bell because he he used a lot of abba for his bumper music in and out of commercials so whenever oh, i hear dancing queen at uh, dancing <laughs> queen means and now richard Hoagland to talk about the face on mars or something like that will, will what be is your night.
0: favorite abba song
1: my favorite abba song is um i do like dancing queen i i i i, I, I do i i don't know why i i Maybe because it's the one I've heard the most, not just because uh. of Art Bell, but it seemed to be pretty uh, pretty ubiquitous. But mm-hmm. I I do like dancing. I like the little orchestral arrangement. It, mm-hmm. It's so overblown and and mm-hmm. so well, they just. all are. That's the I know, point. right, right. So <laughs> it's I, I I do enjoy that like like the gloriously overproduced nature mm-hmm. of ABBA. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh so mine is either. Does your mother know? Or Fernando. <laughs>
1: oh, I forgot about Fernando. Fernando's, Fernando's good. great. Fernando's really good. Yeah. There
0: was something in the air that night. Yeah, mm-hmm. it,
1: that's a that's a good one. That's mm-hmm. that, that's a good one. In that's, my
0: history mind, I'm like, so is this the span the, the Spanish American what, what war are we talking about? He's fighting for freedom in his land. They cross the Rio Grande. What's happening here? I don't know, but yeah, I don't I, think I'm supposed to know.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I I don't know if it's the Mexican Revolution mexican revolution is, is i don't know i don't know it might not be anything and there's just probably not anything words that rhyme yeah
0: right someone should they were just like hey fernando that's a fun name um
1: fernando crossed the rio Grande. Oh, okay let's let's do that um some hey. somebody somebody out there is going to tell us what this what war the song is about probably. so let's just you know mentally prepare ourselves uh for that
0: all right, or they can just tell us their favorite ABBA song.
1: Yes, I'd be down what's, with what's that. What's your favorite ABBA song, Chiquitita. everyone? Yes, that one's um, good
0: too. Apparently, I enjoy the ones with a Spanish flair.
1: Apparently, apparently. I yeah, which,
0: yeah. Who knows?
1: Makes sense.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I am especially excited to talk about tonight's topic.
1: Yes, and and, <laughs> and I I am too. I'm I'm I am because we're we're getting into some stuff that. Um, is very sort of familiar and and fun to a lot of people, and that is Bigfoot or sasquatch, but we I think we we stick to bigfoot as far as
0: we do I feel like that is because like Sasquatch is derived from indigenous languages of the Pacific Northwest, so our creature here would be big he wouldn't be sasquatch right? no I mean
1: no it's it's like we wouldn't call him a yeti you know or right. you know things like that so yeah. i think bigfoot is more of a a universal yeah term. I, th- I think it would be interesting to start off by telling people how we were introduced to i was going to say introduced to bigfoot but introduced <laughs> to, to the topic <laughs> of bigfoot yes you wish you've got a a special <laughs> sort of sort of connection to bigfoot how were you first
0: introduced uh- So my earliest Bigfoot memories are as a small child watching Harry and the Hendersons. Oh yeah. (laughs) We had it on VHS and it's not like I remember acquiring the movie on VHS. We just, we always had it. I don't know. <laughs> my, par- my parents must have bought it or something. I don't know. I never asked them. But, I mean, I was watching Harry and the Hendersons from a very, very early age. Also have a strong affinity for John Lithgow because of that. Well, so. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. So I've just always associated Bigfoot as being this misunderstood and gentle ape-like creature.
1: It makes sense. I mean, if, if that movie was your was your sort of entree <laughs> into the genre, yeah, yeah, it it does. And and how long was it before you you sort of realized there was a whole that Bigfoot was a whole thing. It wasn't just like a a, a movie thing.
0: Well, there were also like as I when I was a kid, there were like a few other Bigfoot movies that came out. I should have looked up. I don't know when Harry and the Hendersons actually came out, um, but there was some other movie. That I remember, I don't know what it was called, but these kids find this like juvenile Bigfoot that they befriend and help stave off the destruction of the forest that their family lives in. (laughs) So
1: that sounds familiar. And Harry and the Hendersons, I threw it in my Google machine here, uh, 1987
0: oh it's as old as i am yeah so that's nice it
1: is it is a lot of great things happened in
0: 1987
1: it was it was a good year i enjoyed (laughs) i had i had a fun time 1987 (laughs) is 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 one of my top years star trek the next generation started up so (laughs) you know that's that's always a good thing yeah Um, so yeah 87 was was good
0: okay yeah i mean i think and i'm sure by the time i was like 10 or so obviously I'd seen like the Patterson Gimlin film clip and had seen uh, some other Bigfoot things around and about and then as you know once we got cable well satellite dish (laughs) in the country um, and seen like Bigfoot documentaries and stuff like as a teen so I just kind of grew up slowly learning more and more and more um, about it I suppose Yeah.
1: Yeah. what about you? I I remember as a kid reading a book um, by a guy named Daniel Cohen who wrote a lot of paranormal books for kids um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was it was like like flying saucers little men from hairy creatures flying saucers and little men from Mars or something like that mm. it was like a chapter on different paranormal stuff and I read about Bigfoot and I probably saw um, the Bigfoot episode of In Search of with mm. Leonard Nimoy on some sort of uh, some sort of rerun um, mm. but my sort of entry into knowing about the whole Bigfoot community and the research and stuff was Coast to Coast AM. Uh, Back, it would have been 2005 when I was listening to it, and had a guy on called Tom Biscardi, who said that his group had captured a Bigfoot. It was in a cage. For $14, You could watch the webcam as they showed the Bigfoot to the internet, and then it turned out to be a scam. Then a few years later, he came back and he said, I have a Bigfoot corpse. I my hands have been in its intestines, and I know Ugh. that it's real. Turns turns out it was it was a model. It was another fake. So, yeah. um, so I, I remember just and that sort of like sent me down a rabbit hole of of reading about Bigfoot research organizations and and things. Oh, like that. see, and
0: I didn't really. I was never interested in that. Like even once I started watching the documentaries and stuff, it was still like. I mean, I very quickly learned the name of. Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, who we're Mm going to talk about, who's on literally every single Bigfoot documentary (laughs) that has been out there and has done a lot of anthropological and scientific anatomical research. Um, And so I always knew about it that way. You know, later on saw... um, you know, like the the Monster Quest episodes about Bigfoot, and and I mean, I think it was largely through Monster Quest then that I realized that Bigfoot wasn't just contained in the Pacific Northwest,
1: oh, right, <laughs> um, right?
0: Because I mean, as a kid, it was just like, oh yeah, Bigfoot's out there. Like yep. that's where John Lithgow lived <laughs> in the movie, and um, that's where the Patterson Gimlin film was. That was out, you know, out that way. That's Bigfoot lives in Northern California, Oregon, and Washington. That's That's where they are. So Um, and then I was like, wait, there are Bigfoot type creatures all over the place.
1: Maybe even down the road from you or something. Who knows? They could be anywhere. They could be anywhere.
0: All right. Well, let's move along then. And um, we wanted to start off the conversation with the discussion about the nature of Bigfoot because it is not um, it's not just one thing, potentially. I mean, obviously, it might not exist. <laughs> but if it does, who knows what it is. Um, so we're going to start off by talking about the belief that it is a flesh and blood creature, um, some kind of great ape or a relic hominid. Um, the most well-known explanation of the nature of Bigfoot, I think that the pop general population has, is that it is, you know, some type of um, large ape-like creature or you know even a descendant of you know neanderthals or something mm-hmm. like that that has yeah. somehow escaped extinction which like that's the theme with like the loch ness monster and a lot of these different things it's just something that has hidden out and nobody nobody wiped it out humans humans didn't get to it
1: <laughs> and somehow managed to keep itself hidden which is yes. probably why it didn't get wiped out they're yes they're good at hiding
0: There are anthropologists, archaeologists, biologists, um, etc., who are on this bandwagon, like Jeffrey Meldrum. Um, They have studied old texts and fossil records. They found stories of hair-covered wild men or ape-like men in oral and written traditions throughout history and across the globe. Remains of ancient apes and humans have been analyzed. For ape remains specifically, there is, and I can always remember this from the documentaries, Gigantopithecus. <laughs> um, and if you look it up, you will see like, you know, the large sort of dummy, I guess. The I, You can't say taxidermied creature because it's not real. Um, model, I guess that would be the normal, the normal word, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, I think so. <laughs> um,
0: uh, who was a large hominoid related to most closely to orangutans that was found in Asia. Gigantopithecus has been posited as a potential candidate for Bigfoot because he was really tall and has sort of that brownish reddish kind of hair if you think of the color of an orangutan. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what we classically kind of see in a lot of these different Bigfoot photos, videos, whatever. There are also many kinds of ancient humans, aside from Neanderthals, which we all think of as cavemen, um, that could maybe be an example of a relic hominoid. And so when we use the word relict, um, that would be a species thought to be extinct, but in fact has little pockets of it remaining. So very similar to like the word relic. It's something from the past that has somehow survived into the future. So groups like the Denisovans of Siberia and the much shorter Homo floresiensis of Indonesia represent different varieties of archaic humans that have been discovered in the last 30 years. So these are still new discoveries that are happening. And this is why a lot of folks who see Bigfoot as potentially this kind of, you know, leftover creature um, are like, well, it totally could be this because we're still finding new things today. Granted, they're finding new things that are dead, (laughs) but (laughs) they're still finding new things today. So there always could be more. And one of the things I wanted to talk about with this is the importance then of having these wide swaths of land. Um, Because if Bigfoot is a flesh and blood creature of this Earth, (laughs) spoiler alert there, um, (laughs) there's the idea that the existence would require a lot of a lot of property, right? Yeah. Um, we often associate Bigfoot with the Pacific Northwest, where we have large national parks with hundreds of acres of, you know, mountains and dense forests that will continue to remain unsettled because they're national forests. So, you know, there's this idea of like, well, what could be lurking inside there? You know, no human can certainly go and track through an entire national park. Um, and if a thing is used to living there, it can hide and get away and whatever. So there's no way to truly track down through this whole park, you know, if you even knew something was there, right? So as the study of Bigfoot has expanded, we have seen more and more regions coming out with their own Bigfoot stories from across the country. It's not that these stories haven't existed, but they are just now being shared as research and some level of acceptance about the creature has grown. So as more people are talking about having sightings, More people are gonna come out talking about their own sightings and people are gonna be like, Oh, I thought that thing only lived far away. I saw this weird thing here one time, you know. So you're just going to hear more. A lot of people connect the recent increase in the stories with like, oh, well, everybody just wants to have their own Bigfoot story and everybody's talking about it. So they're of course they're gonna think they saw a Bigfoot, but no, they could have had a real experience. They just didn't know how to talk about it right
1: and 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 you know when more people are talking about it there's less stigma right mm-hmm. there, you don't sound like a, <laughs> a, a strange person who might have seen a bigfoot right. you're just one of many witnesses in in your your town or state or whatever
0: yeah exactly and they have a common language that they can use which i think is important too um, so in this episode, we are going to focus on stories from Michigan. So we thought this would be the place to start with our Bigfoot episodes and perhaps then include like Bigfoot episodes, um, for all of the Great Lakes state. so we're doing a lot of this initial groundwork here, kind of like we did with the swamp gas episode in UFOs. So here's the groundwork. And now in the future, we can just share a bunch of crazy Bigfoot stories <laughs> <laughs> from th- for throughout the region. <laughs> um, So Michigan has its fair share of untamed land. When looking at the percentage of land covered by state and national parks in all of the 50 states, Michigan ranks 11th. But this is also behind smaller states like Massachusetts and New Jersey that don't have as much unsettled land. So even though Michigan is 11th, um, percentage wise, it has more acres than some of these smaller states. It's just that these, yeah, you know how all that works out.
1: (laughs) I, I do. I, I, yes. I, think, I think I think. I do.
0: <laughs> yes. So 836,790 acres of Michigan is covered by state and national parks. Additionally, there are other chunks of state-owned land not turned into parks. For example, there are 50 acres of state property across from my parents' house. So um, that's not going to be counted in this count of, you know, park. Land, I suppose. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, And many people in the state also own very large tracts of land ownership. Michiganders value land ownership. And you'll hear about somebody who has a lot of land a little bit later. Um, We will regularly refer to a 2016 article in the Detroit Free Press about a group of Bigfoot hunters in the Upper Peninsula. So I wanted to specifically include some Upper Peninsula information. Um, It is incredibly sparsely populated. The piece of land makes up 29% of the state at 16,377 square miles, but contains only 3% of its population. Uh, According to the 2020 census, there There were 301,608 people in the UP, which to me makes it prime Bigfoot country, if this is the kind of Bigfoot you're looking for. In this article specifically, the Bigfoot researchers are exploring the Sini National Wildlife Refuge, which is sort of smack in the middle of the Upper Peninsula and contains 95,212 acres of untouched wilderness. There are bears, moose, deer, deer coyotes and wolves all residing in this refuge. So lots of animals that a lot of people don't even see when they go to the refuge because it is so large. (laughs) Um, And it is um, full of wetlands as well. So there's lots of birds, water water mammals, and maybe some good Bigfoot fishing waters.
1: (laughs) It would make sense. And this whole un- Inhabited land thing. While you were talking about that, I was just thinking about. You see, sometimes satellite images of like North America Mm -hmm. at night, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes those of us living in urban or suburban areas think "Ah, everything's so overdeveloped, and (laughs) you know, you can you you have to go to parks to find nature. There is a lot of dark at night. There's you see the lights of the cities, but huge, huge swaths of North America are just. Mm -hmm. Uninhabited, um, and yeah. Thank goodness, <laughs> I'm I'm okay with it.
0: <laughs> I really. Uh, am. A couple of weeks ago, when the um, the lottery, the Mega Millions lottery yeah. was so high, my um, director and I were talking about what we would do with the money, and both of us like immediately said, "Buy land in the UP. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just scoop up some property and let it. You know, maybe someday I'll build a tiny cabin on there to get away, but." no one can no one can ruin this land
1: <laughs> right yeah it's and because they're not making any more of it you know no, so no. um yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think this is a topic we could both start soapboxing about if, if we yes. <laughs> let ourselves so bigfoot might be inhabiting these these vast swaths of uh, of land but what if bigfoot isn't a a relic that escaped extinction or an undocumented primate what if Bigfoot isn't a flesh and blood creature that needs large expanses to remain safe and have the space to hunt and reproduce. There are also researchers who believe that Bigfoot is not of this planet or dimension. There's a long tradition, for example, of UFO experiencers and witnesses seeing bipedal humanoid-type beings in connection with their sightings. These humanoids come in a variety of shapes, sizes, and textures, and some of them are very similar to how witnesses have described Bigfoot over the decades. While many orthodox, In sarcasm quotes, UFO researchers dismiss the idea of space Bigfoot. Others point to cases in which Bigfoot-like creatures have not only been witnessed near sightings, but have actually been present inside spacecraft as evidence of their interstellar nature. There are other more circumstantial arguments for space Bigfoot, such as the (laughs) fact that sometimes footprint trails simply end, indicating that Bigfoot has beamed up to a ship generally both bigfoot researchers and ufo researchers say don't get your bigfoot on my ufo you know <laughs> let's keep these things separate
0: there are a lot of other explanations too for bigfoot being either other dimensional being a member of the fairy realm a fae folk or or even some type of Poltergeist like creature, as well. Um, and a lot of these folks who study Bigfoot from this perspective will take into account, you know, other strange phenomena that are happening um, in the area at the same time. Um, I was reading Where the Footprints End um, by Timothy Renner and Joshua Cutchen. In the first chapter, Timothy Renner talks about this one county in Pennsylvania where there are all these Bigfoot sightings, but there are also. Lots of hauntings and lots of this, lots of this. So lots yep. of other at lo- UFO sightings, strange lights in the woods. And um, I listen to his podcast, Strange Familiars. And so there are lots of those stories as well, where it's not just one thing. It's many strange things happening at one time. I feel like instead of trying to determine what exactly Bigfoot is, if he is not of flesh and blood earth um just calling him the supernatural bigfoot seems to make more sense to me because how will you ever know if he's a, a fairy or an alien or <laughs> any of these other things
1: right or or all of them because yes. are, are, are you know fairies and aliens and big feet just different manifestations right. of yeah. the same strength but yeah that's
0: what i meant like yeah, there's no right. way to know what any of this no. is <laughs> I was very adversarial to the supernatural Bigfoot theory for quite a while mm-hmm. um, because, <laughs> well, and I think it's because at first I just saw him being equated to like a fairy or, and I always say him. I don't know why I say him because he is hairy to me. Like Bigfoot is hairy and the Hendersons hairy. And so he is always going to be a him. <laughs> um, but And the thing that was out to the general population the most was the idea of him being... A flesh-and-blood type creature. But I have come around to the idea that perhaps he is some type of supernatural boogie. I will not pick a side of that argument to fall on. But I'd also still be really happy if he was just a cool giant ape. Before we leave this topic, because we have a lot of ground to cover, I wanted to throw in this idea, too. um, The idea of a citizen scientist versus a folklorist approach in um, the average people researching Bigfoot. So, um... In, in, in that Detroit Free Press article from 2016, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum, who is a professor of anatomy and anthropology at Idaho State University, um, posited the idea that he wants Bigfoot researchers um, and organizations to act like citizen science, citizen scientists. He wants them to gather hard data as opposed to just collecting stories, because this is what's going to add credibility to the research. But um, it seems like having a folklore approach is also important and hearing the stories from people is also important. And again, how you approach how you're doing research is going to depend on what you think the nature of Bigfoot could be? So, right. if you think he's supernatural, you're not going to go looking for his poop,
1: right? Yeah, and, <laughs> I mean, and I you're... guess you
0: could. Supernatural things could poop. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but. Maybe, maybe. I
1: mean, I, I won't. I won't get into the anecdotes <laughs> I have about that. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it really does sort of, sort of, not necessarily lock you into a certain perspective. But if you if you right. think it's it's thing A, you're going to look for evidence of. Thing A, you're not going to be looking for hair samples. Um, right. For for example, you're, you're going to be correlating it with UFO sightings or something like that.
0: I, I don't like the idea that like the hard sciences <laughs> um, think that you need to collect. I mean, obviously, finding a hair sample or scat <laughs> um, or something like that or a body is, you know, what's going to make things most accepted. Um, and really, everybody's going to be like, oh, yes, this Bigfoot thing exists. Um, so you do want to keep your eyes out for that. But I don't. I, I think the other type of research is just as important. So,
1: like you, I don't like the idea that that people's stories and experiences are are somehow just incidental to, or just tools know,
0: to get you to the right place. Right?
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I, I think the stories are, the stories are the point. But they are kind yeah, of to are. me. They're what get people into this. Nobody gets into this because, like, well, we've got some hair samples of a lost ape. I'm, I don't know.
0: Well, and as a historian, stories are important. Like, it's literally in our name. Let's continue on. We're going to give you a bit of history of Bigfoot. And we, just, of course, could go through a whole bunch of Ancient history and crazy sightings and things like that. But we figured we'd start with one of the most well known things, and that is the Patterson Gimlin film. Um, it is one of the most well known pieces of Bigfoot evidence. Um, and it was recorded in 1967. There is tons of things that we could go into on this film, but. In the interest of time, <laughs> we're going to leave the deep dives to others. And I will say, if you're totally interested in a breakdown of the Patterson-Gimlin film, Astonishing Legends did a six-part, with each episode being multiple hours, um, look at every possible angle of the Patterson-Gimlin film. Oh, my and, goodness. I mean, t- to the point of trying to track down the shop in North Carolina where somebody claimed that the um, costume came from when they said that it had been a hoax because people involved just said it was a hoax. So go listen to that because we will never do, we, we no. won't do that. No, we won't. Um, that didn't happen in the Great Lakes. So there you go. It was made by Roger Patterson and Bob Gimlin along Bluff Creek near Orleans, California, 38 miles south of the California, Oregon state line. It was filmed on October 20th and the film runs for a little under a minute. Patterson and Gimlin claimed they were riding on horseback along Bluff Creek one afternoon, and they were actually there to, like, shoot a, like, they thought they were going to shoot a documentary of finding a Bigfoot. (laughs) Um, They spotted a figure behind a log jam on the creek. Patterson said the creature was six foot six inches tall or seven feet tall or even seven and a half feet tall. Um, The estimates did change a bit over time, but, you know, people get old and memories (laughs) change gimlin estimated the height as six feet the creature was hairy bipedal ape-like and had short hair described variously as silvery brown dark reddish brown or black covering its entire body the creature had notable breasts leading to the conclusion that it was female and forever this creature is known as patty The encounter itself was brief. Patterson's horse bucked on seeing the creature. Patterson got off the horse and retrieved his camera. He then ran toward the creature on foot while Gimlin followed on horseback. When looking at the film at the point where Patterson is about 80 feet away, the creature turns and looks back at him over his right shoulder, then disappears behind some trees. It then reemerges, eventually moving out of sight into the distance. Gimlin claimed he continued following it on horseback for another couple hundred yards. They then made plaster casts of the footprints that they found. While the film generated a lot of publicity, it attracted little attention from the scientific community. Although zoologist and cryptid research pioneer Ivan Sanderson was a supporter of the film's authenticity. Now, as far as authenticity is concerned, there have been a number of studies that have cast doubt on the film, showing a legitimate creature... Some of the critiques came from people who were generally supportive of the reality of Bigfoot. Experts ranging from primate scientists to Hollywood special effects creators have weighed in on the film and the debate continues to rage. And I will say personally, after listening to The Astonishing Legends, six episode extravaganza, I'm sold on it. So. Oh, are you? Mm hmm. They I mean, they look at it from I mean, one episode is all about the film that was used and the camera and that whole process. And I remember running that day because I was listening while I was running and I was like, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, no offense to them, but it is just not in my wheelhouse. And I it wasn't distracting enough for me to not think about the fact that I felt like I was dying while running. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of things... That I mean, a lot of different things have been said since since the film came out um, from people who were part of its creation, from people who just knew the people who were involved, and I kind I kind of think it could be real.
1: Interesting. So yeah, it's it's a very complex thing, and now I kind of want to listen to those. You should. Episodes. You should definitely yeah.
0: listen to it. Um, I will say. So Aaron, yeah, filled out that part of the outline. So as I, and I, you know, of course, glanced over it ahead of time, and then as I was reading it, I was like, oh, he's making it sound like it's not believable, <laughs> but I totally, um, I I couldn't say it's not real.
1: I'll take your word for it, but I will listen to those episodes.
0: I mean it's it'll be days of your life but
1: especially if there's an episode that goes uh, in, into a deep dive on film stock and things yeah like that. yeah
0: there's the film episode there's an episode where they have somebody um the guy in the land before time movie remake who was in the little ap costume <laughs> so they talk to him about what it's like to wear that kind of costume and you know looking at this does this costume seem that and then they're talking about like what costume technology was available at the time and how like they don't think that something that like moved this well could have been around yeah it goes wow. into everything so
1: that's that's in depth it is yeah so as far as researching bigfoot uh, probably the the largest bigfoot research organization out there now is called unsurprisingly, the Bigfoot Research Organization, <laughs> or the B.F.R.O., It was established in 1995 and describes itself as the only scientific research organization exploring the Bigfoot slash Sasquatch mystery. And it claims to be the oldest and largest Bigfoot research group, which gives us an idea of how relatively new Bigfoot research is compared to other areas of the paranormal or unexplained mysteries. Um, they, they take a solidly physical and, and flesh and blood Approach to Bigfoot, emphasizing that they're focused on finding empirical data and physical evidence, describing Bigfoot as large apes and animals. The organization also points out that their policy is to study the species in ways that will not physically harm them. So, good because that's not always the case
0: you know i was listening to a different episode of astonishing legends that had micah hanks on um and talking about a lot of the relic hominid stuff and um you know they were talking about you know how how would you actually study this creature like you know you know a lot of people would want to go out and obviously kill a specimen or something mm-hmm. like that and obviously like a, that's not going to be be looked on very well. Um, But if you look at the ways that humans have generally always studied animals, I mean... You ta- I mean, I'm not advocating for this at all, but it just made my mind go to like Teddy Roosevelt hunting all of these yeah. animals and you tax. you know, they, they study the body, they taxidermy then, and then you have the specimen of the rhino, you know, or whatever. Right. And I mean, I'm obviously not saying that that is the right thing to do, but historically that's how.
1: And, and that is a debate within the Bigfoot community is, is, you know, do we.
0: Tranquilize it and put a tracker on?
1: Or just dissect. The BFRO has maintained a website since 1995, which was really early to have a website. They claim that the collection of reports they present on the website is the only collection of Bigfoot reports from across North America that have actually been investigated by researchers to determine credibility. And while they acknowledge that the witness testimony they collect is anecdotal evidence, they argue that many scientists are wise enough to understand that anecdotal evidence always proceeds and leads to the collection of scientific evidence. So as you'll hear in a bit, many of the encounters in the database are indeed anecdotal. They're stories. That doesn't make them less important, but it doesn't necessarily conform to the standard of hard evidence that researchers like Dr. Meldrum would prefer. Now, they have a classification system for their cases, which grades reports A, B, or C. And the way they do this is the grade is based on the degree. How open to misinterpretation the encounter might be, with A, being the least open to misinterpretation. Like you shook C-
0: Bigfoot's hand.
1: <laughs> right. Um, it's like, well, there it is. And C, being the most likely to be misinterpreted as something routine, like mm-hmm. you heard a stick break in the woods mm-hmm. or something like that. Now, they don't put this a lot of the C reports on their website, they say, um, mm-hmm. which... I don't know. There might be something interesting there that that people might want to might find, but they don't highlight those much. BFRO describes itself as a scientific organization, but are investigators trained in in a scientific field or in interviewing witnesses or collecting stories? Because those are skills. Interviewing witnesses that's you know that's mm-hmm. something that takes some training. We couldn't find any information on training about training on their website. And this isn't to say that a high school science teacher or a high school history teacher, as investigators on a few of the cases we discuss, are, aren't qualified, but some indication of how they train investigators would be interesting. As historians, oral history classes, oral yeah. history methodology is a class. Yeah, uh, you, you, you
0: don't say. So when did you see the Bigfoot? You right. say yes. so. So when did you see what? You know, where you you don't. It's not asking the leading questions. I did that very poorly, but you don't say. Did you see Bigfoot? It's tell me what you saw out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then sort of like like ever decreasing circles, getting toward more mm-hmm. specificity as as you go.
0: So then I wanted to jump forward a little bit to some some recent uh, pop culture related to. Um, Bigfoot investigations. And so um, finding Bigfoot, I think, I I would contend is a big step in Bigfoot gaining popularity, if you will. Um, It premiered on Animal Planet in May of 2011. um, And we're going to talk about finding Bigfoot later. So I also wanted to provide this introduction (laughs) now. Um, In each episode, the team, which consisted of three Bigfoot researchers and one skeptic, um, would travel to a new location across the U.S. following up on tales of Bigfoot. They would generally start off with a town hall style meeting where the locals could share and tell their tales. And this was this was like my favorite part of each episode. Like I love hearing people tell their stories, which is also a really cool folklore technique, honestly. Then they would follow up on the most interesting cases or the ones that seem to be the most impactful. And I would assume provide the best visuals to investigate for a storyline for the TV show because it is still entertainment. And then they would do a night investigation in which they would let off some whoops, um, sometimes put snacks out for the munchy squatch that might wander by, and use lots of heat-seeking and night vision equipment. This show, I contend, brought about the wave of Bigfoot popularity that has caused every state park or UP gift shop, Northern Michigan gift shop. I mean, anywhere you go that's like kind of near a forest, (laughs) it's full of Bigfoot foot stuff you know having been to the up several times there wasn't that and then i was up there in 2017 so after the show was out um and bigfoot was all over the place and i was like oh this is fun bigfoot's everywhere The series ended with its 100th episode in May of 2018, and the show also, I think, seemed to cement the idea among the general population that Bigfoot wasn't confined to the Pacific Northwest, and that people across the country were experiencing these kinds of phenomena. So, you know like like i said as a kid i thought bigfoot was out there mm-hmm. um and i'm sure that most people who aren't into paranormal things uh you know probably had some similar ideas until certain documentaries different things podcasts and shows like finding bigfoot came out and were kind of like you know, available and accessible to the average person who's like looking for something to watch on a Sunday night because this ran on Sunday evenings. I used to watch it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 a lot of fun. We watched um quite a few episodes. Well, when we come back from the break, we're going to find Bigfoot through some cases that we found that we think are pretty fun. Mm
0: hmm. Next time on Great Lakes Lore, there will be a murder. We really got our act together this this yes, round, guys. Yes,
1: we, 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 there's, there's going to be going to be a murder. I was going to say, um, I was going to say, yes, I, I finally pushed Sam too far. There's going to be a murder on the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, she
0: laughs maniacally. I, I was going to say
1: you're laughing a little bit. I, I, it's sort of a nervous maniacal laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can you can contact us uh, with. Tips about uh, how to avoid being murdered um, <laughs> at uh, Great Lakes Lore Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Great Lakes Lore or on Facebook, uh, search for Great Lakes Lore and, and we uh, we pop right up. Our website is Great Lakes where you can find extensive show notes, pictures from the episodes, uh, of episode topic things. All the episodes, uh, other things, you can find those. And uh, you can listen to previous episodes on the website or in your favorite podcast app.
0: And when you're in that favorite podcast app, rate and review us. Yes. That helps us.
1: Yes, please. Do
0: that. Um, we also have a Patreon, um, so if you like what you hear uh, uh, in the episodes, you can head on over to patreoncom Media, because it is a Patreon for both Great Lakes Lure and Aaron's other podcast, The Saucer Life. And there, we have early releases for our episodes. We share research posts about um, all of the episodes, and every month there is a bonus episode for each of the podcasts. So there are a couple of different tiers depending on the, the level at which you might wish to support us. Um, but if that's something you're interested in and if you'd like more of us in your lives, um, you can head on over to Patreon and um, check out what we have to offer there. And thank you to those who have been supporting us. Um, it is... Uh, So much fun to see people who like what we do and see all of their comments and likes on the posts that we get over there. So um, thank you. All right. Um, In the interest of time, we did not plan a (laughs) lengthy midway break here. So let's just jump right back to Bigfoot.
1: All right. So we're going to look at some encounters. And a lot of these come from uh, the BFRO database. And their database includes Bigfoot encounters from nearly every county in Michigan. Unfortunately, there are none from the county where I live or the county where Sam lives in there um, right, right now, which is, which is sad. But we've identified some Michigan cases that highlight various Bigfoot characteristics. And we're going to start with sounds and vocalizations that Bigfoots make. Uh, In some cases, investigators are able to capture sounds that they attribute to Bigfoot. BFRO's report database sometimes includes recordings of these sounds as well as descriptions of Bigfoot vocalizations. So one case I thought was really interesting is from 2012 in uh, Romulus, Michigan, which is near Detroit. It's it's where Detroit keeps the big airport. Um, So a witness in Romulus reported that they had been hearing howls for six or seven years they recorded some of the sounds with their mobile phone and contacted the bfro which assigned jim sherman to investigate here is one of the howls now that that was clearly a howl did that sound like a howl to you it did sam so here's something about these sounds that i was thinking of as i was listening to it um if i hadn't said the word howl would it have sounded like a howl mm, or did me maybe. saying it was a howl prime you to think
0: i mean i suppose knowing that it came from romulus which is a little more populated I would wonder, yeah, if if somebody in the UP had recorded this, I would it be would like, it would sound like a house. Yeah, it's an animal, yeah,
1: but, <laughs> but somewhere you know near the airport, you know, it, it, it almost might... sounds
0: like some kind of a like siren of I've, some type mm-hmm. because it has kind of like that, mm, like it.
1: Oscillates. I don't know. That was yeah. terrible. You can probably <laughs> nobody wants to hear me making no, that noise. No, we're, we're going we're to keep you making the siren oh, sound. God. in. <laughs> so there is another sound that was recorded during a rainstorm. So in, in the, by the same witness, so you can sort of hear the, the sort of rainstorm in the background.
0: Is it still going?
1: It, it, it is. I there, I, I stopped it. Um, okay. First time using this particular uh, sound <laughs> I was integration system. Like, I don't system. hear any more noises. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hear it, sounded almost like like a growl. I I, I think it sort oh, of. Oh, so was the there supposed
0: to be So I heard the first one, and then I thought I heard something else, and then I didn't hear anything else for a little bit.
1: So and what's then I interesting was this one didn't have a description of what the sound was. So it's like I didn't know what to listen for. Oh. You know, so, but uh, after that rainstorm, uh, the witness took pictures of what looked like a foot and a handprint in the mud uh, near the barn where the sounds may have come from. And they also found some broken sticks in the woods near their property. Now, investigator Sherman noted that the hand and footprints are not too big to be human. So that evidence is kind of inconclusive. And he points out that while Romulus is not far from Detroit, it's more suburban than urban, and uh, the it um, there's some woods close to the property, and and Romulus has sort of near one of the big parks along the oh, Huron is that? River. Oh, okay. So um, there's some. To me, it's there- all
0: Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> That's- Have you ever heard bobcat sounds? Yes. They make freaky sounds yes they do and i think a lot of things that i have heard you know that could potentially be bigfoot sounds a lot of folks me included think that they end up sounding kind of like bobcat noises so yeah there's one video in particular that someone had taken i want to say it was in northern michigan of these two bobcat like staring at each other um making these like crazy screaming like almost like that sound noises at each other for and i mean they're just standing frozen like <laughs> making these <laughs> yelling noises at each other so it also kind of sounds like that to me
1: the witness also reported but didn't record sounds that they described as amish people talking or an amish deaf person talking i have no idea what that would sound like other than german i yeah i i I, I don't know um
0: and and an amish deaf person talking
1: yeah um some of these descriptions are not precise and sherman reported that there were other cases he investigated that included vocalizations that sounded like what the witness described but that witness described it as chinese or asian sounding so Either somebody doesn't know what Chinese sounds like or somebody doesn't know what the Amish language sounds like. There is no Amish <laughs> language. Um, there's various Germans, yes. uh, German dialects. Yes. The thing about the recordings, it's it, it could be a bobcat. I I, and I I stand by the idea that we are sometimes primed to hear things based on how it's described mm-hmm. to us before we listen to it. Yeah. So, you know, it might be some of that. Are ears trying to make sense of the mm-hmm. noises and trying to find patterns in those things
0: yeah So our next case comes to us from Isabella County. Uh, During 2011 and 2012, in that county, which is located in central lower Michigan, Jim Sherman and DK, a BFRO investigator from Virginia who was a former cryptologic linguist who now studies Sasquatch vocalizations, recorded several dozen vocalizations, which they believe suggest the persistent presence of multiple suspected Sasquatch at this location. In this case, witnesses did not see a creature or traces of anything. The this case is all about the sounds. Sherman describes this recording as showing the possible interaction between two individuals in differing parts of the woods.
1: And he did say that he edited the long silences between the sounds because it was like a very slow conversation. So, oh, a little manipulation, yeah, a bit. So, yeah. Let's see if this sounds like a conversation. (laughs) <laughs> it sounds like it to me yeah could be May- maybe having a conversation in
0: i heard the bug buzz <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna say the bug buzzing bug. Was, was very, <laughs> very sort of
1: high fidelity that was <laughs> yes. uh that was nice there's also this one which uh, he describes as singing howls
0: That's I'm, interesting
1: it is isn't it i mean that they're clearly one's... singing how i mean i can see why he calls them that but yeah yeah um,
0: I, yeah i mean i'm more familiar with sort of the the shrieky sort of coyote sounds not quite like that i guess unless maybe somebody has a you know the other thing is s- somebody in isabella county could totally own a wolf dog <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a husky or something like that. So Sounds are hard for me to buy.
1: They 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 are. Um for me too. And not because I mean, yes, because there are all these other animals that could possibly be making them, but mm-hmm. also how hard is it to send your buddy out to the other side of the woods to you know, make sounds when you know, you're primed to record something and an investigator is waiting for a recording. I I just
0: see. And I don't even think that like, I don't, I don't go to that level of, of pranking or anything like that, but just, I mean, you're outside. So it's not like it's a sterile environment, you know, like when you're ghost hunting, the goal is to like not have other sounds so that, you know, if you're picking up anything that that is, some other entity or something like that in the building and you cannot, you can't do that outside. No. And so, I mean, it could just be some drunk people on the other side of the forest who are whooping around. Um, so that's sounds, sounds are hard for me.
1: It is. And you mentioned shrieks uh, and sort of shrieking, screaming sounds. We've mm-hmm. got one of those from the same place it was distinctive kind of sounds, all recorded, in the same area those are coyotes yeah yeah I, well yeah i think so i mean that's they sound not unlike coyotes either yeah. right so yeah it is disconcerting he said he had trouble he had trouble staying out all night he was disturbed by the sounds he heard which yes there might be coyotes out there so
0: here i mean so here's a perfect story when i was a kid we had purchased a tent my parents had purchased a tent and as a first outing with the tent we went out into our own woods and set up the tent to spend the night we have 20 acres so you know we're out out in the woods and um i was probably like i don't know 12 or so i don't remember and did not wake up for this, but my parents ended up waking me up and said, hey, we're going to go back up to the house because this pack of coyotes, like they could just hear them. They were far away and you'd start to hear the shrieks and the yips and the screams at each other. And then it would get loud, 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 loud. And then they'd pass and then it would get quiet again. And then they'd do the same thing and come back. And, you know, my parents are like, yeah, we're we're not, this isn't, this isn't a good idea. We're going to go back up to the house because- that's what they do. And I've even heard them here at where I live now. Um, there's farm field all over the place. And sometimes in the evening with the windows open, you hear like, as soon as you hear it, it's like, oh, they're like the coyotes.
1: <laughs> you know, growing up in Indiana, out in the middle of nowhere, you'd hear them like yeah. most, most nights. There's also video cases. In addition to sound cases, people see things, right? Not just hear things. In July 2021, a video came out that reportedly depicted a Bigfoot crossing the Cass River in Michigan's thumb. A man named Eddie V. sent the video into the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch organization, who shared it on YouTube. And Eddie explained that his cousin captured it while kayaking on the river, and he said that in addition to the mysterious figure crossing the river, it appears to be carrying... Something, maybe an infant or perhaps a deer. Now, in it, you can see a brown figure that appears rather bulky sloshing across the river, and there does appear to be some extra bulk, and the way the figure's shoulders are placed, it does look like it's carrying something. Now Samantha viewed this video and um, she agrees with the naysayers.
0: Yeah, uh, and I just want to point out too that this did not come from the BFRO. Like I just found this in in, in Googling, um, but yeah. So a lot of folks said that it looked like someone doing some fly fishing, and I like you know going back to shore and i totally agreed with that um i think that the extra folds at the hips that you see as he's like raising his legs to walk um that it looks like waiters you know waiters are big <laughs> they're going to make you look rotund um and waiters one of the standard waiter colors is brown and so as he walks you can kind of see those folds at like sort of the hip creases there um Additionally, like waiters tend to come up higher on the chest. No, um, you know it's bad. Don't don't get water in your waiters. <laughs> that's that's a bad situation. So they come up higher, and so that's going to bring that brown color up the rest of the body. Um. Additionally, a fly fisher would generally carry a creel with them. Many of which are made out of willow or wicker, and this is something that they would be putting their fish in um, once they catch it. And so I think that could be the perfect explanation for the appearance that this figure is carrying an infant or a deer or something like that. But, um, you know, the one I'll, I'll link, I'll put a link to it, um, on the website when we post everything to the, to the video. And as you zoom in and the thing gets blurrier, I think that's when it looks more like an animal because of course mm-hmm. it tends to look like hair cause it's more pixelated. But when you actually look at a couple of the, um, Images, when it's zoomed out a bit more, that's when I think it really it, – it's a, it's a person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a person. I think it's a fly fisherman. So. I, and a lot of it has to do with the folds at the hips. I mean, uh, we, we have folks at work um, in the gardens who are in charge of ponds, and I see people in waders all the time. All right. So the other sighting that we wanted to share comes from 2012 in Menominee, Michigan. A man named Craig Sulk captured something on one of the many trail cameras that covered his 80 acres of property. The camera had gone off thanks to a deer that had wandered up in front of it, and the camera captured three photos. The first image showed only the deer, as did the third, but the middle picture showed off in the distance something that appeared to be a bulky creature standing on two legs. So it's like not there. And I mean, it's way back in the distance. So this is not the thing setting off the camera. Um, And but and you can see this sort of fuzzy outline of something standing up tall since it wasn't in the other two pictures it couldn't have just been a misidentified tree or something because it had clearly moved into one of the frames of the images that were taken um craig didn't tell anyone but eventually reached out to finding bigfoot and the crew headed up to the mispronounced menominee oh no menominee
1: I was like, oh,
0: cringe. (laughs) To see what they could discover. Um, Now, the crew did send the bulkiest and squatchiest member of the team, (laughs) Bobo, out to the area where the figure was captured. You know, they put the camera up where the camera's height would have been, had Bobo go out there to see, like, a comparison, what that would look like. And Bobo was actually larger than the creature in the image. But. As investigator, Matt Moneymaker reminds us all, all Bigfoots start out small and then grow tall. And I, I made that sound pretty. Um he, he didn't say that. I just thought that was fun.
1: It, it it sounded good.
0: I know. That was me.
1: Yeah. I like that. <laughs> no.
0: They then proceed to have a night investigation and they do some some whooping, some calling, some knocking. And with the exception of one knock that they heard early on, they had no more evidence from this case. Um, I do believe I just saw the clip of this particular piece of the story from um, uh, a Midland Daily News article that I found online where they were going over it. And I think they then did, did the thing with the town hall and whatever, but mm-hmm. they started off since this person reached out specifically, they started off with, um, with looking at this case, then did, then brought it out perhaps, but I did not watch the rest of it. So could have been, could have been a person, obviously. I think it was slightly oddly shaped and made me wonder if it was a black bear standing on two legs.
1: Oh, cause they, they, they do that.
0: They do. They do do yeah. that. And it seemed like the legs were like, the, the, the legs it was standing on were kind of shorter and stockier perhaps, but again, it's a shadow. And then he kind of was narrower up top and that was the one thing that they said was that this creature's shoulders were narrower than Bobo's were. <laughs> and so um, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm it, it could have been. Who knows? Who knows what it was? But I just think that's another possible explanation to keep in mind.
1: It, and You know, you you hate to get all sort of Occam's Razory, but what is more likely to be in Menominee? A tiny Bigfoot or a black (laughs) bear on two legs? Right. Clearly, the Bigfoot is more likely. Now, one of the things that bigfoot also do is for for reasons known only to them they throw pebbles at people or sometimes (laughs) larger rocks and there's an interesting rock throwing case from Kalkaska, michigan in uh, 2014 Kalkaska is sort of in northern lower peninsula michigan Uh, It was July 4th weekend in Kalkaska, and a man and his adult son were in their cabin there, and it was dusk, about 30 minutes of daylight left, and the witness was outside and began hearing what sounded like a stone or something hitting a fallen over shed that was to my left and behind me about 10 to 15 feet away. A few more stones, about the size of a nickel, he said, landed near him. He thought it was his son messing with him because he told his son about these strange things that happened in that area. The witness said he felt the hair in the back of his neck rise. and He would often turn, sensing a presence, but no one was there. More stones began to fall down around him again and again. So he goes and finds his son who was in their truck messing around on his phone. The father hurries him inside the cabin, and they both experienced the falling stones as they're making their way back to the cabin. And the witness explains what happened next. We got in the cabin. It was last light, I could still see out the windows, and stones were still being tossed, and now they were hitting the cabin, but not hitting the windows. As I sat at the dining room table, I seen something large and dark move fast from the other side of my driveway behind my truck. I grabbed my forty four mag, reached in my pocket, and sounded the truck alarm to scare it off. By then, it was real dark out, so I closed the drapes. My son went to his bedroom and his bedroom wall was hit. The cabin was at times being hit by stones on at least three sides within seconds of each other. There had to be at least three throwing stones. My son was terrified. My son counted at least 19 stones hitting the cabin. It's not uncommon to have my walls or door hit very hard. And I mean, whopped hard after dark It will shake the log cabin and it scares the hell out of anyone there. So it sounds like things had happened before this cabin mm-hmm. and When they go in, the witness calls Kim Fleming, a BFRO investigator who had investigated things on the property before. According to Fleming, the witness described the creature he saw as being six to seven feet tall and weighing 400 to 500 pounds. It was running on two legs from east to west. She had been there for an investigation earlier in the day, and they found possible prints, but none worthy of casting, she said. She also found a, a stick structure, and we'll hear more about stick structures later. Fleming said that when she returned to the property later to follow up, it was a few weeks later, she was overcome by a sense of panic as she approached the area where the stick structure had been.
0: Mm, a little bit of woo there.
1: A little bit of woo, a, a little bit of... You know, possible multiple Bigfoots with the the rocks hitting sides of the house, not simultaneously, but uh, but close or a Bigfoot that moves faster than any creature should be able to move. Or he's traveling through portals. He is. I mean, that's I mean, Dr. Strange. That's that's my preferred explanation for any time something like that happens. But uh, it's an it's an interesting story. Mm -hmm. Uh, But um, sounds like a lot of strange things happening at this property.
0: Yeah, I have I have no natural explanation for that. No, no. <laughs> so we wanted to share at least one story that was, as I put in the outline, a little more woo. <laughs> um, and so this is getting to the idea of that. Other than planetary
1: nature, potentially. Supernatural? Is yeah, that-, that
0: would be much easier to say. I don't know why I started <laughs> saying it the way I was trying to say it. Um, and so Aaron uh, included this story from Midland, Michigan, um, where I work every day. <laughs> in January of 2014, Anthony Anthony Padilla of Midland, Michigan, saw a Bigfoot-type creature on his property, which he believed was somehow connected to what he described as an ancient Indian burial ground there. At first, he thought it was a hunter in a gillip suit but when he got close enough to look the being in the eye he changed his mind he said his eyes were so red they looked like they were full of blood like a man on his deathbed his eyeball was yellow yellowish green black in the middle and real tiny little yellow green in the middle of the black and they swiveled both of them bam (laughs) bam he's emerald lagasse yes I tried to speak to it, and I couldn't spit it out. And not that I wasn't scared. He wouldn't let me. He started getting, like, blurry, fuzzy, like a mist, like a spirit, like... And then I seen some antlers evolve. Like they say, they move like the ninja. That part is true. He turned around. Bam! Gave me a vision of white deer's tails and two hooves jumping away from me to try and make me forget what I'd seen. I know what he did. It's called absorption. He checked me. He read me just to see if he could trust me or if I'd go against him, and I don't. Padilla did acknowledge that his motivation to come forward was the $100,000 reward being offered by the Spike TV show (laughs) Bigfoot Bounty. As far as we know, he did not receive that money. According to the news report, Padilla claimed that the Bigfoot liked pizza and Nutter Butters. (laughs) BFRO (laughs) sent an investigator, but no report on the case is on their website. Joshua Cutchin cited this case as an example of stories where Bigfoot both communicates telepathically and is able to shapeshift.
1: This this one is interesting. I I I I, and I remember it from the time because of the Nutter Butters. That's what stuck in my mind was was Bigfoot.
0: What do you mean you remember it from the time? Like what happened? you heard about it?
1: Being in the news. Yeah. Oh, Um, I I remember. I remember the news reports. And um, the reason it sounds so like confusingly written is I think this was uh sort of a transcript from him appearing right. on a morning radio show. So right, that's what I um, figured. Yeah. yeah. It's one of these stories where, where how do you even begin to determine the truth or falsity of this? You,
0: and also the motivation is the suspect.
1: motivation is, is, is suspect an interesting, an interesting, strange story. Now, sometimes uh, we've, we've mentioned this, uh, once before, uh, stick formations or, or nests. Uh, last year, uh, Sam and I attended the Michigan Bigfoot Conference, which was in Ann Arbor. And uh, we did this for an episode of The Saucer Life, which you can go listen to. It's, it's It was fun. And there we heard a presentation from the She-Squatchers, uh, which is a
0: Group of lady Bigfoot hunters.
1: Right. Yeah. I was going to say, what are they? But that, they're a group of of, of women who, who are hunting uh, Bigfoot. And they claimed to have found a structure made of sticks and trees that seemed to have been made by Bigfoot, or so they claimed. This was in Minnesota, but sharing the story feels like good secondhand experience since we heard it directly uh, from them. The structure was way off the beaten path and hard to get to, so they didn't think it would make sense to have been made by humans who had traveled back there. It just wasn't anywhere where people would go. They also claimed it smelled really bad inside, which is a, a common theme with Bigfoot encounters. And the structure was very tall and even had a few different rooms inside. So it's it was like a, a house. It was like a Bigfoot mm-hmm. compound. It was it was yes. pretty interesting the way they uh described it. And they had they had pictures of it, I th- I think. Yeah. Um and it, like pictures of any stick structure, you sort of have to use your imagination. Of what it would be like to be there in person would be a little mm-hmm. more different and more three dimensional, but uh, it was. Pretty, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. And similarly, in a 2016 uh, Detroit Free Press article, uh, stick formations in the Upper Peninsula are discussed. In one instance, a, a sapling was, was bent over to form an arch high over the path uh, and its tip was wedged into uh, the underbrush. So so sort of a, a, a Bow across the path, and uh, this the investigators claimed was a sign that one Bigfoot left for his his Bigfoot pals, sort of a, a signal of some kind. And there was another spot where several large sticks had been leaned upright into one another to form an X. This, along with the arches, investigators said was a, these were common methods of Bigfoot communication. Uh, and uh, the investigator, a man named Mullins, said. It's interesting because of how it's kind of interweaved like that. A lot of these branches were probably laying down right here, and it's almost like they were deliberately put up and weaved into an X like this. But he wasn't completely convinced, and he said, it could be something. It could be nothing, which Seems I, I like a think healthy is, attitude. It is. As I say, this is the, probably the best that's way that's to fun. approach this. This could be something utterly groundbreaking. It could be a stick. Yes. You know, you never know.
0: So – That sort of concludes the encounters portion of the episode. And now we wanted to take a second to talk about some of the criticisms that folks have about the existence of Bigfoot. Of course, the largest is the lack of physical evidence. So there's never been a body there's no identifiable hair sample, although sometimes it seems like there have been hair samples that are found and sent off to the lab and they're like, inconclusive. Yeah. <laughs> so right. there's lots of those. Right. Um, there's no scats that has been found. And so this leads, you know, all of the folks of the flesh and blood bigfoot camp to be like, it is, it is not possible that after all of these decades, nothing has been found, right. Um, Another is that everything is blurry. Um, Every time you see a video or a photograph of Bigfoot, it's always out of focus. It is too far away to be identified. It's at night on a trail cam. You know, the list could go on and on. But why in God's name hasn't there been a clear photograph of this creature? Again, it's been decades.
1: And it's not like there are photographers and and equipment for... Decades that are skilled in taking yes, clear all photographs kinds of wildlife. Of wildlife. Yep. We we can get like a still shot of a hummingbird while it's flying, mm-hmm. but we yep. can't get a non-blurry <laughs> Bigfoot photo. Mm-hmm.
0: Many folks um, have asserted that there is not enough wide open space to sustain a breeding population of these animals. If you know people are really seeing them at the rate that all of these claims would be allude to uh again we would run into them (laughs) they wouldn't be able to hide themselves and still continue to hunt to eat maybe they're vegetarian i don't know to reproduce raise their young all of these things like yes there are all these wide open spaces that we spoke about before but people are also all over the place uh, and then the final one is that everything becomes Bigfoot, kind of like with these yep. with these stick fig, stick stick figures, these stick, stick figures. formations. <laughs> In the 2016 Detroit Free Press article that we noted earlier, Dr. Jeffrey Meldrum said the only harm that I think comes out of it, uh, meaning all of the Bigfoot hunting and story collecting, is if people are too enthusiastic, too eager, and too quick to attribute questionable evidence to Sasquatch, because that dilutes the good solid evidence we. Have and that can be a distraction. While the author of this article was interviewing Rich Meyer, the founder of the UPBSFRO, which is an Upper Peninsula Bigfoot Research Organization, uh, in a Germfask bar a woman walked up and shared her Bigfoot experience. She had been hunting and heard an unfamiliar howl and later a series of tree knocks that she felt were trying to communicate with her. She said she had no idea what could be making that noise, and since they never found out what it was, it became Bigfoot. She Mm -hmm. acknowledged that this wasn't necessarily the case, but that in the UP, Bigfoot became a catch-all for any of these types of natural, inexplicable types of things that occur, you know? you hear a twig branch behind you. Huh? Ah, it's Bigfoot.
1: You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it just yeah. kind of the default
0: a saying. You know.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and so and so, I thought that that was that was interesting. That you know, she shared her story, and again, as a hunter who's lived in the UP, she's encountered, I'm sure, most anything that she could. But she's like, ah, eh, you know, but maybe not. <laughs> again, healthy attitude.
1: It is. It is. Now, sometimes people do pull pranks like Tom Biscardi, who sort of was my entree into this. Uh, Every Bigfoot video or photo is going to be checked for authenticity, looked at incredibly skeptically because it could be a prank or a hoax. In October of 2016, uh, an eagle cam in Beulah, Michigan, near the Platte River State fish hatchery, caught a large furry figure walking by. An MLive article – MLive is our state news agency sort of outfit – the article reported the story and even included the footage from the camera and it did look bigfoot-esque but in the detroit free press article we've referenced several times which came out in on december 26th 2016 they found the man responsible for the footage and he wasn't intentionally pulling a prank but he was uh, taking part in a shamanistic ritual, as he called it, covering himself in animal furs. He's originally a trapper from Minnesota, and he went out into the woods to be close to nature. The man claims that he knew it was him the moment he saw the footage pop up. However, this gentleman says he does believe in Bigfoot and sees him as an angel of the forest. So one of those more supernatural explanations. <laughs> yes. and, and the idea of, of, of these Bigfoot hoaxes and pranks goes all the way back to the, the Patterson-Gimlin film. It's, it's sort of a strand that is woven through Bigfootery. Indeed.
0: Indeed. I wanted to note that many of these criticisms are more relevant, it seems, when we're looking at Bigfoot as a flesh and blood creature. So, again, why isn't there a body? Why isn't there hair? Mm -hmm. Why isn't there scat? Why can't we find DNA? You know, uh, why can't we take a clear picture of him? All of these things. Um, If Bigfoot is a fairy, alien, ghost, or other supernatural entity, then that could account for the lack of all of these things. And he wouldn't need. Vast swaths of wilderness in order to um, in order to maintain a population. Um, Some folks even attribute the blurry quality of the videos and pictures taken of him to his supernatural nature. We aren't supposed to record them. Therefore, (laughs) everything we capture is a bit fuzzy. That's convenient. Um, I know. But this, uh, this idea is connected to a lot of paranormal phenomena once you start digging deeper into different experience or narratives. Sometimes people who spot UFOs even claim that they aren't able to reach for their phone or camera. Everybody has a camera in their pocket these days um, because something keeps them from doing so. And so this is, again, something, uh, something you commonly will hear regardless of what the phenomena is once you start hearing enough of these stories
1: yeah there's there's sort of it's not the place to go into it here but the the trickster element to the paranormal there's there's something about the paranormal that that keeps it keeps us from understanding it fully
0: or even just doesn't want it getting out i mean there's there's a lot of things that it could be
1: it's also a Um, convenient excuse for when you forget to turn your camera on
0: (laughs) so aaron what do you think
1: I think uh, I, I think people see things. I think people hear things. I think people sometimes are conditioned by their media intake or the environment where they live. You mentioned the, the thing in the UP, things just become everything's Bigfoot, to, to uh, maybe sometimes assume there's a Bigfootish explanation for things. Um, but I don't doubt that people – I don't think everybody's making things up. All the time, mm-hmm. I like to think that there are creatures out there that we haven't discovered yet. You know, there, mm-hmm. there, there still could be. Now that doesn't preclude, you know, ghost Bigfoot or alien Bigfoot or interdimensional Bigfoot from being a thing. It's one of those things where where anything they conclude about Bigfoot, anything they find, eventually, if they have the answer, will probably be pretty cool.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, I still hope that yes, there is (laughs) Um, an undiscovered (laughs) creature that's, you know, hanging out there. I realize that probabilities are probably kind of slim for that. But again, you know, when you hear all of these stories and yes, we sounded very critical listening to the sounds. And even I was like, ah, coyote, ah, siren. Ah, what if someone had a wolf (laughs) dog or a husky or whatever? Um, Because sounds like I said are just hard for me. But yeah, I mean, I believe people are experiencing a thing. And uh, I, I, I don't know how to say what that thing is, but I'll, I'll believe them generally. I mean, unless there's totally something that's going to lure me into disbelief um, or there's another rational explanation. Um, I think it's kind of <laughs> it's important to explore those rational explanations and ad- adhere to them when they exist. <laughs> Oh, sometimes when you combine different elements, you know, if there are sounds plus footprints, or sounds plus a bunch of rocks hitting <laughs> your house, or right. whatever, it's when multiples of these elements coincide that I think you get the stronger story.
1: And we should always make sure that they aren't trying to get a payoff from a TV show. Yes, um, yes, yes. Uh, I and, will and,
0: and, be judgy of that.
1: Yeah. Um, although, full points for honesty uh, for Mr. Padilla actually. Oh, for sure. But
0: I mean, uh, even as historians, we are, we have to look at the things people say, but then also look at the other things going on in their life that could be motivation for what they did. And so, um, I mean, that's just part of what we do every day. Sure. This historical figure said this one thing, but if you look at it, if he did this, he's going to get this great payoff in another way, you know? So, you know, you, you got to pay attention to those things. Those things do matter.
1: <laughs> yes. There's an entire constellation of context to yes. take into account.
0: Yeah. Thanks for listening.
1: Bigfoot in Michigan was written and produced by Samantha Engel and Aaron Gullius.
0: Our music is by Raphael Crux.
1: Great Lakes Lore is a Chiso Media production. Chiso Media. our heart is with the people.
0: Until next time, don't get lost in the lore.